Now it's True Wealth presented by Little John Financial Services. Here is David Littlejohn with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. What's going on, everybody? This is Matt Dixon, and you might be surprised to hear that David Littlejohn is stuck behind a train. Yes, you heard that correctly. I was following the speed limit, but I got out of there just a little bit sooner than he did. And so he'll be wandering in in just a few minutes, so don't be alarmed. He'll be here. But today, we've got some really good stuff for you. We're going to be talking a little bit about the jobs report that just came out. And I don't know if you guys got a chance to see it, but I printed it off. I brought it into studio. Um, We'll be talking a little numbers on that today. Um, But before we get into that, we're going to talk a little bit about the economy as a whole. So last week when we left off, things were a little rocky. Volatility was high. Um, Things had moved down. And, you know, we talked about different strategies for hedging. And now if we take a look at the S&P today, give it a week, things are looking a little bit better. So in the last five days, we're up over 3%. So... Things have been moving in the right direction, so that's good. Um, But the jobs report that came out today, uh, there's some stuff that I want to dive into. And so we're just going to do it. We're going to jump right into it until David gets here. So something that I noticed when reading through that report is the layoffs and the discharge rates um, were at a series low. And so it's really interesting to take a look at how many job openings there are. And I think the ratio there was, I think it was 1.7. So for every worker that's unemployed, there's 1.7 jobs available, which is at an all-time high, I believe. So there are a lot of jobs out there, but it appears to be that there's just a shortage of workers to fill those positions. And it starts to beg the question as to why is that? And if we dive into this report, I think it's really telling of a lot of different things. And oh, here he is. I'm going to turn on the microphone. He just walked through the door and David's like, he's probably stalling. No, I'm not. I'm Oh, there. Now your microphone's on. Say it all again. Yeah. I, you know, part of me, I was thinking, you know, maybe David didn't miss a train. Maybe he just wanted to make me sweat a little bit and he stopped for a coffee or something. He needed some caffeine. It could be. So <laughs> I did not. No, it really was. So for our listeners that are out of area, there's a train that bisects town. Right. And the issue, of course, is if you time it just wrong, uh, that train can take you 10 minutes to, to cross. And so that's exactly what happened. I was like number three in the list. I could see you just on the other side cruising. So through I the barely light. missed it. You barely missed it. Oh, well, I'm glad someone missed it. Yeah. Tell that me about been it. An awkward. Like first five minutes where there's just crickets on. The oh, radio. you could have handled it. You uh, well, the, the, the crickets sound great. What are you talking about? Uh, uh, so anyway, uh, so when I was I was listening to the show uh, just on the way in briefly, and I'm I'm chuckling to myself because 
And it's like, you know, there's no way to force somebody to grow like a baptism by fire, right? It's true. <laughs> so it's here, true. So here you go. Matt's running the board. We got it working. Uh, so you're, you're talking jobs, and I just – well, the last thing I heard was the ratio, right? 1.7 jobs for, yeah. for every worker in the economy. Isn't that wild to really think about that? That it's even if we filled crazy. every single position – Yep. I mean, so there's still a shortage. I was asking that question. I was having lunch with a group of, I would just say local business leaders, right? I'm not going to name names right now. But uh, so had is is a a lunch today and the question came up and we were just talking about the nature of what's going on in the economy. Now, I got to give you a little background and please understand these are secondhand numbers. I've not researched them exactly, but if these numbers are correct, it's very concerning. Uh, there was a talk about the shortage of nursing staff that we presently have locally and and the cost of traveling nurses now this is relevant because it's it speaks to the issue that we have of available jobs in different sectors of the economy so right now we've got competing issues right we've had a vaccine mandate that has led certain people to essentially leave their positions Mm-hmm. Right. They've 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 said, you know, we're not going to accept the mandate. I'm not making a call good, bad or otherwise. I'm just saying it is what it is. And some people, including healthcare workers, have said no. Right. That's the there, there is a line. I'm not going to cross it. And as a result, that has created an artificial or at least a, a created shortage because the, the rules were changed. Right. So if it, now, this is an example, by the way of how regulation drives up price. So stay with me. Okay. So traveling nurses are filling some of those roles. Now, I don't know what the exact hourly cost of a nurse is, but let's say that it's somewhere in the neighborhood of around, and I think these numbers are ballpark correct, but about 60 bucks an hour. Yeah, that sounds fair. Traveling nurses, as I was informed, $200 an hour. So over double. More than double. And so that's, but that's a, that's an issue of scarcity and the supply and demand nature of what's, we still don't have enough nurses. We still have a shortage, even trying to import people temporarily. That'd be tempting as a nurse to just be like, Hey, I'm going to go be a traveling nurse. Well, and I'm gonna it, I think it is a lot more money. Now consider this. A lot of what's funding that right now is COVID relief funds, which again, my taxpayer. data tells me it's, well, it is the taxpayer which means that this money, which right now the taxpayer, that's, that's a whole that's separate a issue. term, Because the taxpayer too, is not funding it, this. Because we're mainly printing the money. Correct, so right? Now the, the taxpayer is supposed really, to fund yeah. it, but we're inventing money. So the... <laughs> How do I invent money? Tell I know, that, that. that it would be something if, right? Yeah. Uh, if only it didn't destabilize the system and otherwise create massive inflation. So what happens when the COVID money stops? Now you're going to have a, a real conundrum on your hands because you're not going to have the money to pay these prices. And so then what kind of squeeze does that create in the system? I think this is a very real and very concerning event. Okay? Mm-hmm. So you know there are, the, the discussion was, will they extend the, the COVID funding? And your thought process is yeah, I think probably, they will. I mean, what yeah, else are they going to do? Yeah, I think they'll punt that thing somehow. The question is whether or not there's the political capital to get anything over the goal line right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, that's a separate issue. I don't think that's the true wealth show for the day. Okay. 
right? I mean, I think that the the jobs number. What's more interesting is because there's a nickname, right? What are they calling this whole mass exodus? Jolts. Uh, oh, the uh, what are they calling the mass exodus? Yes, that's the great uh, resignation. Ah, that's so so we point. had the we've had the Great Depression in the you know mm-hmm. 30s, right? And then we have the Great Recession of 2008. Yep. And now we have the Great Resignation. The Great Resignation. And it, it's very interesting. I can see it. Right? So the job openings, if you had to take a swing at it, I don't know if you brought in your paper, but... I have it. Oh, you have. I, I do. So if you had to take a guess at the top three sectors that just this month that they reported on, one of them being what? What sector? Well, I'm going to go with – it looks like you highlighted it, too. I did. So I I'm going to go with food services is one of them. Yeah, and I think – I mean, look at Starbucks, right? They mm-hmm. push out the, you must be vaccinated to work here. Yeah, which they've since rolled back. They rolled it back, but how many employees did that yeah, After what, what amount of damage, right? Right. To their – the number of employees they have. Yeah, so that's just one small mm-hmm. example. But, I mean, and some of it, I think, is just naturally – well, inflation's real. Sure. And if you can – leave to go find work other places that's going to pay more you're leaving right well i think that's a big part of what's driving this right sure uh you look at the the wages and what has changed first of all uh, not every job is going to instantly be higher mm-hmm. okay because i'm going to just describe this in the the, the dirty reality of the words that all of our listeners are going to understand right uh there's some crap jobs out there, right? I mean, there's yeah. <laughs> nobody wants the job. And so you, you look and at you this and you can be say, selective right now, too. You can, right? So what happens is the the more necessary but dirty the job is, the higher the compensation tends to be for mm-hmm. it. Because there's just fewer people willing to do the job. But if there's a real demand for it, it's going to go up and up and up, right? I mean, if you think about, uh, you know, some of the, the jobs involving, you know, like maintaining our sewage and treatment plants and so forth. Mm-hmm. Those are, when we say dirty jobs, like literally they are dirty jobs, right? Yeah. They're gross. But if nobody's willing to do it, it has to get done. Everybody, it turns out we got a sewage problem. It's happening, right? Then you're going to end up paying more and more and more for the fewer and fewer people that are willing to do the job. Right. Okay, that's a supply and demand issue where demand is really, really high and supply is low. So you get it. Okay. But yeah, I mean, so food service is one where huge problems staffing restaurants, mm-hmm. right? Uh, here's another jinx stat for you. Look at the percent of payroll as a portion of the overhead for restaurants right now, and it's declining. Why would that be? Everybody would say, well, you know, it's because, you know, you go to fast food and they're making you order on mm. a screen instead of with a person. No, they can't get the people. Yeah. Right. They can't get the people. And so this this is now this may have started pre pandemic with some policies in Seattle and so forth where you say, well, let's make minimum wage, you know, seventeen dollars an hour. And, you know, it starts to squeeze everybody and it starts to drive pricing higher. Okay, that's inflation through policy. And now we've had inflation through supply chain restriction because there's two sides to the equation. Right. There's the supply side of the curve and the demand side. Do you think that's why manufacturing is on this list? Uh, I think it's part of it, yeah. Okay. So why, right? I think we play the music and take a break, and then we answer 
why afterwards. Sounds good. All right. So why don't we do that? Uh, stick around, gang. We will be right back uh, after this important obscene profit break. This is Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon, and you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. gang welcome back to the best tuesday you've had all week it's the true wealth show dave little john in studio with matt dixon okay if you're just joining us we're talking jobs today right the dirty jobs the clean jobs how about all the jobs that aren't filled there's a lot of them okay if you want to get caught up grab the podcast we're sharing data podcast at littlejohnfs.com that is under the educate tab right or you can subscribe you can get this all the time right and then you can see what a train wreck it was ha ha yeah. Because oh I man. Was late because of the train today. Super pun there, David. I That's nailed it. Yes. All right. So uh, when we're thinking about jobs, I love the the, the phraseology, right? The Great Resignation. Uh, I swear we we created some of this, and then other stuff really does baffle me. But, okay. So I'm going to be curious to see what baffles you, because not very many things baffle David. Well, Little it John. baffles me how so many people just decided that. Like, joining the workforce wasn't really their jam. Well, I don't know that that is really as much of the case as it is. I mean, we look at this this list, and local government and education jobs are, you know, top three, right? So mm-hmm. that's where we're seeing a ton of shortage. It makes sense, right? Like, okay, why? Walk me through it. Hit me. I mean, think about everything that a teacher's having to deal with in this environment, right? Schools are open, schools are closed, we're changing the way we do things, we're moving to online education, you know, it's undergoing this huge change, and you have a bunch of teachers who are sticking with it because they love it, right? They could have retired a long time ago. right? But you push all of these changes, all of these mandates into place, and the reason that they're there is gone, right? They don't, it's not an environment that they can love. And so they decide, what the heck, I'll throw it in, I'll throw in the towel. And then you have a massive shortage. Yeah. I think some of that was mechanical in nature. I do not speak often about my family on air just because of the, uh, you know, it's not the place to air laundry per se, but we've talked about how my wife, Heather, is a teacher, right? She's a music teacher. By the way, I want to give her a shout out. She was super sweet the other day. She came in, had this awesome little thing on my desk of all this wonderful treats and stuff. Yeah, so, Heather, if you are listening, calories. yeah, I I thrive on calories. So, Heather, thank you. I'm giving you a little <laughs> shout out. Very cool. So, here was what so she is still teaching, but she transitioned so went from a 5-day a week scenario to a 2-day a week scenario. Now, we have 3 children, okay? Right? And they're all in school right now. And at the time, they were all in the Sutherland School District, okay? And the reason that's relevant is only because, based on the way their ages lay out, they were each in a different school. Oh, and I guess I didn't realize that, but that's challenging. Yeah, East, West, and the middle school, right? So they were all in different physical schools, which meant they all were exposed to different cohorts. And my wife taught at two of the three schools at the same time. So oh. when COVID hit, it was you. She could have been exposed to anything from any school, from any group, every time. And then it was if she's exposed or one of the kids is exposed, mandatory quarantine event. 
And then what? She's basically forced out of the classroom by policy. Ah, so right? then it's like yes. babysit the kids all day long in, in, in rotation. Sense, yes. Yeah. And so it became almost mechanically impossible for her to keep the job. Wow. Right? And yeah, so, when you break it down like that, it makes total sense. Right. And so we were looking at this going, well, what are we supposed to do? Right? Mm -hmm. uh, and the other thing is, as a music teacher, the COVID protocols effectively outlawed music. It's true. Right? I remember that. I was teaching during the time, and yeah, they shut yeah, music like down. You, you couldn't sing, sing. You can't clap. You have to socially just. You can't do any of the things for music. So then it became teach music theory to K through sixth graders. That sounds like a nightmare. Well, that was how she perceived it, and I don't blame her. So yeah, thankfully, we were in a position where we could retool, adjust our lifestyle, which we did, mm -hmm. and she was able to come out of the workforce. We actually homeschooled for the one year of COVID that, that when everything was locked down. A lot of people did homeschool, and a lot of people realized this isn't you know, bad. This is great, and they I, just... I really appreciated it. My kids really missed their friends. Totally understand mm -hmm. that. Uh, I'm grateful. This is sort of a shout out to my wife. I'm super grateful that she was able to step into that role, had the skill set. It is illustrative of one thing that concerns me, and I don't want to turn this into a real political thing, right? Okay. Everybody knows I'm capable of that. Like, if you know me, uh, like, outside of radio, you know that's like, oh, look out. <laughs> but here's... What bothers me is we were in this position where we had the ability to do it, so our kids really were able to continue their education for that year. When so many other kids, their parents didn't have that ability, mm -hmm. and they just fell behind in the process. And these are otherwise intelligent, capable kids that were completely – like the system had no way to accommodate them. Right. right? Now, when we said, well, we did online and this, that, and the other – the system had no way to accommodate them. It wasn't a, an effective form of learning. And almost every educator can acknowledge this. Yes. Because it was just do something, anything. We don't have the resources. Just wing it. And then it became, let's stop even tracking the outcomes. Let's just, if anybody shows up and fogs a mirror or pretends they can, we will move them on. Well said. Okay. And now we will try to pick up the pieces later. And we're going on the second year of it. And the impact in education is radical, right? Oh, yeah. And the loss of talent for the number of teachers that were close to retirement that were kind of on the fence and they were like, I'm out, mm -hmm. right? And then you look at who's coming. So it, it has this huge impact, right? I think teaching is just one example of that. Sure. How many people in a fast food environment were like, you know what? I'm, this kitchen's hot enough as is. Now you want me to be masked up while I'm sweating and dealing with all this? No. Mm -hmm. Right? It, it, you know, it's, it, it's not – I'm not complaining about what it was. I'm saying these are the things that contribute. Yeah, we got to go back and recap it and understand mm -hmm. it so that we can understand where we yeah. are at the current I mean, whether moment. Whether it was right, wrong, or otherwise, that's not the point of this part of the conversation, Right. This isn't some guy going, if you're listening, going like, well, what did you expect him to do? It's like, I'm not making a comment about what I expected. I've had that on other shows, not this one. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about what, is it, what does it mean. Sure. Okay. So what does it mean? Because as we look forward economically here, we have this big gap right now in 
available workforce versus jobs that need to be filled. And we keep hearing about the supply chain, right? Mm-hmm. Right? And, and yeah, it's not good. Yeah. So you, I think you asked me before the break, what do I think about the supply chain? Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm going to ask you, Matt, what do you think about the supply chain? What do you observe as a consumer? Okay. Well, I'm going to touch on something in this report to answer that. So cool. the hiring, if we look over the last couple of months, December's report shows that hiring has decreased. So to me, that says a couple things. Number one, there aren't people to hire, right? Okay. I mean, like, that's part of it, I'm sure. Right. And so if we have this huge number of jobs that need filled, people that we can't hire because they've, in essence, walked out of the workforce, retired or whatever. Mm-hmm. How are we going to improve supply chains when we can't fill the jobs? Right. And so that's glaring to me. But I think if we look across the board, this is a ripple effect, mm-hmm. right? You, you'd make a 1% difference in a supply chain. That's going to exacerbate a much bigger problem. Right. And so we see shortages on almost everything in flux not maybe everything all at once but i went to go try and find a propane heater right just the other day matt just so we're aware all right all of all of my listeners you guys so matt if matt could if matt could find a way to quit his job and just fish for a living that's what he'd probably do yeah probably right so being a financial advisor is like a distant second, but tolerable mm-hmm. since. So, so, so this the the heater for the boat story. We're getting real here. Oh yeah, this is like <laughs> deep to my heart. You know, when your wife says to you, "I'm not going fishing," basically, if I can't be somewhat reasonably warm, you find a way to put a heater in the boat, right? Okay. So I'm calling like 20 different stores, looking all over the internet. You can't even get it from the company that builds them directly. They're completely sold out. And then you happen to find one of them in a spot. It shouldn't even be in a store on accident. You buy it, you install it, you do whatever you got to do to make right. it so happen. Necessity bread invention. It really did. Yeah. <laughs> and so... Yeah, you, there's just shortages everywhere. You try yeah. and get something. I think you had a problem with furniture, right? Yes. So it's yeah. like you can't get furniture. You can't get hardly anything that you need when you need it. But that's really a United States problem, right? I like we're just used just to United it. States. Well, in the term of we're just so used to it, right? We want it. We want it now. And it can show up on a two-day delivery. Well, we're used to that. Yeah. But now things are changing. It's fascinating to me because... I think supply chain, this is one of those things that happens when you're intentionally vague. Okay. Right? So, you you know, how you doing? Eh. Like, I, okay, I don't, that's not really an answer, right? Huh? I, okay, that's still not an answer. I, I see it on social media when somebody says like, oh man, if I get my hands on that person. And you're like, I don't know who it is. I don't know why you're mad. Is it is it good? Is it bad? Oh, is those it, posts like, drive me insane. Yeah, vague booking, right? Yeah, That's, yeah. So vague booking. The, the the supply chain is a little bit of a it, well, it's such a broad term, but if we think about it more like uh, like an assembly line, mm-hmm. okay. If a part is missing, 
then one single part you have to stop the assembly line until yep. that part is located so that it can be installed so that you can resume now one of the things that has occurred especially in the united states over the last 40 years of manufacturing not just in the u.s it was really i think uh, initially popularized i think toyota started this but it's it's sort of expanded to be a global phenomenon is what they call just-in-time inventory oh yeah okay so just-in-time inventory is the idea that you don't have a giant shop full of parts all the time mm. right what you have and and you know who's amazing at this typically Who? walmart okay really walmart has stock on hand in the store but they also have such awareness of their inventory that when a customer buys something the the system knows I'm I'm I don't know how it works exactly, but but in summary, it They're tracks tracking, the inventory yeah. and it knows when it gets below a certain threshold, it needs to order more and have it shipped to the store. And they have their own supply chain to track when they get it from their their distribution centers to the locations that it needs to be on site. But that would make sense because you don't see a huge warehouse out behind Walmart for as much Correct. stuff as they carry. It, they would have to be really really fast at restocking right. in order so to pull it off. So they have certain things and they have inventory management behind the scenes too mm -hmm. but they also have you see regularly trucks coming to walmart okay not as many as you see on the freeway for amazon but amazon they have distribution centers that then are being pushed out to your doorstep right it's a different business model mm -hmm. than what walmart does right this surprises a lot of people but last time i checked Walmart actually does more dollar volume than Amazon. I think that's true. Right? They don't. I don't think they have higher margins. Yeah. Than uh, does just Amazon. because of the sheer overhead cost of having a storefront and paying right. the employees I mean, they have to run more it. Yeah. Overhead, but they're they have a an interesting business model. I've said this before. Again, not investment advice when I'm saying this, but Walmart's one of the few uh, places in the country that is positioned to still be a viable competitor to Amazon. Well, and Walmart's adapting too. Look yes. at what they've done business-wise, right? They've pushed their online ordering right. like no one's business. Like they're pushing they, that really expanded hard. expanded to include things that are hard to buy online, right? It's their, true. Their grocery components are yep. hard. They're and the lockers, you can go in mm -hmm. and just pick stuff up. It's already put together for you. Right. And they've eliminated a lot of the check stands and gone to check yourself out. Right. right? And, and again, so some of that because when you can't get workers, yep, you figure out a way to adapt. Evil. People are like, I'm you know, I'm going to use the checker every time. I'm not paying to bag my own stuff. Like that's not necessarily what's always going on. Mm -hmm. You know, cuz cuz here's the other thing. Uh, you want to know a dirty secret about I do. workers? You're going to take us to the break, aren't totally you? I'm totally going to take oh. us to the break. All right. But you're, you're going to remind me when we come back after this. Okay. The, 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 uh, this is the magic of how to do well as an employee. But we got to take this break. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, Matt, you ready to preach it? I am. Good stuff. Welcome back to the True Wealth Show, folks. Uh, don't forget to grab that podcast if you're just getting caught up. Uh, I'm going to drop some wisdom today for those of you that are not starting your own businesses. 
but you're looking at the opportunity set in the workforce and you want to go out there and figure out how to crush it in the world, right? How are you going to how are you going to make an impact? Cuz we've been talking about jobs on this show today. Talking mm-hmm. about supply chain and how things are disrupted. We were talking a little bit. We got we got off the beaten path where we were talking about uh, how Walmart uses just-in-time inventory. Mm-hmm. Right? Just-in-time is the idea that things arrive just as they are needed. And so there's this entire logistics flow of getting items from where from one spot to another, and especially in manufacturing, that just-in-time component is how they keep the uh, the assembly line going, right? Yeah. So if you don't have the parts arrive just in time, the assembly line stops. Or you get to a situation with our cars where we don't have processors to go in computers, right? There, there's chip shortage. And so you can build the whole thing, but you can't sell it yet because you're missing a few key pieces. Mm-hmm. Okay? So those those are supply chain problems. Supply chain is disrupted when people don't aren't, aren't available to, to make the supply chain happen. When... You can't get things brought across the, you know, through the ports when you have when you have bottlenecks or choke points where materials have to come in or through. When the okay. trains keep getting looted and there's no repercussions for the people right. looting the trains. So there's this whole pile, and most of our listeners are listening, and you know you're rolling your eyes a little bit about this. Okay, so here I'm going to tell you all, and if you just we can carve this piece out of the podcast for this little piece of advice, right? So here's the secret to employment okay show up what you're when you're supposed to and do what you're asked surely there has to be more like there you go right if you show up when you are asked to and when you're expected to be there and you do what you're asked because what you're going to be is something really special which is reliable notice i didn't say do your job amazing Mm -hmm. okay even if you were sort of at the minimum competency level, you'll be ahead of many right now because so many don't want to show up at all. Now, if you want to really just succeed, then work hard, right? Show up and exceed expectations. And what happens is one of two things, right? You're either going to get promoted in a raise or you're going to now there's some of you out there that they're going to say there's a third thing which is no no they'll just ride you forever and get as much out of you as you can because that employer is evil and they're going to extract whatever they can out of you and wear you out and burn you out and you're going to be done okay and i'm going to say careful because there's a guilty that that's that's a blame component and there's something else to it because and maybe you're going to say well you know all the other employees are going to try to keep you down or take you take advantage of you right but hang on because there's a hap- there's a silver lining and a happy ending to this, okay? So, if you work hard, you're either going to get promoted and get better opportunities, or you're not, for a moment, right? You're gonna you will get sort of abused and it'll be a problem. But there's something out there called the law of compensation. It's not really a law. It's more like a theory. Well, it's it's more like the co- compensation karma. Okay. Ooh. Okay. But compensation karma, in my experience, is absolutely real. And what happens is, and I'm not a karma guy, but it's just a good description, right? Like, I, you know, I'm, I thought you were going to say caramel and you kind of. You know, you're hungry yeah, again. I know. I am. It's like, okay, after, after the show, man. You're going to give me some can, caramel you're, you're after close. the show? Okay. We have 17 minutes. You can <sighs> do this. So, compensation karma 
or the law of compensation it was originally written about is the idea that if you work really hard and you're not compensated for it, somebody else is going to notice and compensation will catch up to your hard work. For a little while, it's out of balance, Mm -hmm. but it'll catch up and an opportunity will present itself where you have the ability then to leave and go somewhere else and be compensated better. Okay. But there is a caveat to that, right? Some people live in this fear position where they're just terrified of letting go of the branch they're hanging on to to swing to the next one. And I will tell you that if that is you, you can find yourself in a miserable circle because you are part of the problem. Okay, yeah. If you bust your tail and you're unappreciated, there are employers out there that will value you. It's very true. Okay, I mean, I would like to believe that as an employer that I've tried to tell – I use t- terms like team all the time. And I don't view employees as a cost to the business. We talk about overhead as part of the expense of running the business. But employees are not a cost. They are team members that are an investment in our success. And yeah. I try to treat that as such. Okay, and I am not alone as an employer in that attitude. Okay, there are lots of people that believe that about their teams that they're important and valued. Doesn't mean that you can write infinity checks to people and you know make it rain or whatever, because the business has to earn the money to do that. But I will tell you that if you hunker down and refuse to ever stand up for your rights, and that now that's different than insisting that you've earned something you didn't. Sure. Okay. But if, if, if you're unwilling to make a change, then you can expect to be playing the role of doormat more than likely. So you're saying if you've been there for six years, been a perfect employee, shown up every day, right. do a great job, and you haven't gotten a raise. Right. Or you're in a job that doesn't have upside, right? Yep. Because if that's you're true. doing a job that anybody can do, Yes, that's a very important point. You have to advance your skill set to become more valuable. Mm -hmm. But working hard does that. If you work hard and you learn, then you're going to get opportunities. So you need to sort of level up, right? And sometimes leveling up means you have to go to the next game board, right? You can't stay in the same place. Yeah. Okay? This is a different attitude for some people. And there may be some of you listening that... Or we'll just say you've got a, a few more gray hairs, or maybe you're just you've got a, a different value set that's a little bit more traditional. And you're saying, "No, I'm a career person." And what I will tell you is that that attitude of delivering quality for life is great, but if you, if that means that somebody will take advantage of you, or you have a, to suffer from culture, it, yeah, right. The culture of the organization is not going to work with you. So you have to choose your career carefully to make sure that it's culturally compatible with your value system and work ethic. But I'll tell you, if you can't show up and be reliable, there's no job where you're likely to thrive at. It's true. Okay, because even if you're super talented, if you're super smart and super talented and you're super not motivated, you're not reliable and nobody can count on you, then you still can't get the job, right? Like you might get it, but you won't keep it. Yep, well said. Because they can't count on you. So that's the magic of employment of of the employee. So there we go. We've, we've dispensed some wealth wisdom today. If you want to get paid more, be a great employee, and spend less than you make. Right, the mm-hmm. number one rule of the program. Right, spend less than you make. It's true. So there you go. So now that we've talked about the, the you know the great resignation, we've talked about so so what do we think this means uh, as we plan out twenty twenty two? 
it could be a very very interesting year this could be a roller coaster ride don't you think you know there are two things that are absolutely competing with in in, between my brain between my heart Mm -hmm. uh, in the data uh and there's there's these there's i don't know how to make sense of this yet i mean we'll know probably after yeah but you don't have a crystal ball no but so there's two things that we're going to talk about it is first the the fact that we have this rising interest rate environment okay but then second that we also have this uh rising interest rate environment okay and you're gonna go like what if you're wondering why the heck i just said the same thing twice it's kind of like you know there's there's three things in real estate that matter location location and location right mm-hmm. well i'll tell you that there's two things that are going to really matter in the stock market this year and okay. it's rising interest rates and rising interest rates because it could go one of two ways yeah. i'm guessing if you want to understand it you're going to have to stick around for the last segment. Oh, we'll grab okay. our last last break and then we're going to come back and we're going to i'm going to make sense of it for you a little bit and then we'll and then we'll flip a coin. But uh, we got to take this break first. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQED. Hey gang, welcome back to the home stretch of the True Wealth Show, where we promised to answer this question for you. You know. What, uh, what does, what are the two things that are really messing with this market looking forward? And one of them is rising rate interest rates, and the other one is rising interest rates. Yeah, right? tell us what that means. Give us, so give us the first one. It's a dichotomy because it it's two different things. One of them's good, and one of them's not good. Well, right? let's start with the bad news. Everyone wants the bad news okay, first. So, so the bad news is the cost of capital is changing, right? And we've talked on this program before about how one of the ways that you value investments is you look at how much they are earning based on the, you know the earnings. So if a company makes money, how much money does it make relative to the value of per share? Per share. Okay, right? earnings and, per and share. So it's also relative to the risk-free rate of return, which is typically associated with the ten-year treasury. Mm-hmm. If yields go up in the ten-year treasury, then it means that you need to have more adjustment in value right. in the marketplace because you can get paid more for not taking risk now, which means the market has to compensate you different for risk, which is uh, in a long-winded way compressed into short for the time we have left. It means that the multiple that you're willing to pay declines for a stock because while the the earnings have to go up in, and, and the, um, the amount that you're willing to pay for, the number of the multiplication factor you'll apply to is lower because you need to get better compensated for the risk. So you're saying that the companies just basically have to earn more to drive the earnings per share up in order to justify the cost of the share. Typically, as interest rates rise, multiples on the market fall, typically. Mm. And so as that occurs, the companies need to make more money in order to sustain the current price. So we almost need a non-typical event. Well, and they can you can dislocate for a little while, right? Mm-hmm. Temporarily, things can be out of whack when historically they may behave one way, but for a little while they don't. Okay, so the markets are not always the same, and they're not always we say they're not always rational. Okay, so that's one issue. Okay, at the same time, so so we see things like real estate; it's going to get more expensive, right? Mortgage rates have gone up a lot. Um, the government agencies like Freddie 
uh, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, which which back the majority of mortgages in the country. Uh, I'm, I'm learning from a buddy of mine that they are changing the underwriting requirements because their appetite is lower for loans for second houses and investment property. So, really? Yep. So they they are going if they make fewer loans or they charge more, rates go up. People cannot borrow as much money to invest in these second properties. So you would expect lower demand because they don't have the money. Now you now you have me curious. So why do they not want to loan as much on the second homes? Is it uh, so That's interesting. Risk appetite just has to do with their view of collateral value mm-hmm. and so forth, right? So there are lots of reasons why, but if these are quasi-government entities, maybe there's a government rationale for it. Maybe huh. it's because with rising interest rates, maybe the Federal Reserve is uh, I don't know all the details yet. Right. I just have these have bits the and facts, pieces. yeah. But if there's if the suggestion is that they're going to reduce the amount they're willing to loan, then expect investment property loans to cost more. Right. Which means there's less purchasing power, which means there's fewer dollars chasing after. And and this may also be kind of a, a, a design to help homeowners access more, like single family owners rather than people oh, that's up multiple true. homes. Right? Yeah. So, all right, well, it's curtail investment. But that will change the demand side of the well, curve. Well, and the pricing of the real estate, too, will change. That's the point, right? If you don't have as much money to spend on a home, then the price that you can demand drops because fewer people are competing for that to space. buy your asset. Sure. So the cost of capital are rising interest rates can be deflationary or yeah, it can be deflationary because it takes money out of the market and, and so it's it's affecting the supply or sorry, the demand side of the curve, right? The, right. the number of houses isn't changing. The amount of money that's able to be spent on houses is changing. That's the demand side. It'll be interesting to see at the end of twenty twenty two, like we talked about what do all of these things look like? What is What do real estate prices look like? Have we right. seen a decline? Is it flat? What, where are we at? Right. So, so, I'm interested. Indeed. But we can't speed up the hands of time to find out. Nope. So we're going to have to sit around and wait. There. Yeah, so we're, we are going to have to watch that. Now, the flip side of this argument is, historically speaking, markets have gone up in rising interest rate environments. That is the flip side. Okay? That's the good Not side. Not every time, but oftentimes they go up when rates go higher. And then the question is, well, why would that happen? Well, why do rates go up? It's to curb inflation and runaway growth. It is to slow economic expansion, mm-hmm. which means that the the economy is expanding. So if it is expanding, then the then rates the are, market should be going up. Yeah, you, well, you know, the rates are sort of like it dragging an anchor behind it. You know, raise rates. It's like throwing an anchor to slow you down, or throwing a parachute behind a dragster. Right? Mm-hmm. You're wanting to increase drag, <laughs> and that's what higher rates will do. So if they are systematically deployed, so a little bit at a time, you keep adding a little bit more like salt until you get to just the right amount in the dish. Well, then maybe it's okay. the The, the challenge is. Can we pull off what we would call a soft landing? Can we add just the right amount of salt without putting too much in and kind of wrecking it? Ah, okay. That's and a fine balancing act. It, it really is a fine balancing act. And so that's why the, the Federal Reserve doesn't just raise interest rates all at just once. Just all willy like, nilly. No, let's just throw it up 3% because that would. Can you imagine what that would actually do? It'd break stuff. <laughs> Especially if they didn't tell you. It's like, look, in two years on this day, we're going to raise rates by 3%. And then everybody would go, okay, so really we're going to factor in for the next two years that rates are going up because mm-hmm. you told us when and how much. So we can count on it. So we'll just 
we'll just kind of do an accretion calculation and figure in it out. In theory, wouldn't that take a lot of volatility out if we knew the exact day and the exact amount? It it would make it, yeah, you could really plan around it. Yeah. It would create other problems because if they committed to something with that hard a line, mm -hmm. then, and if they were, they were willing to not deviate from it, then other people would dance around those variables and take other things out of whack. That's so, true. So what they try to do, I think, is give enough guidance to keep the market on a general pathway. And they keep saying, like, well, we're data dependent, right? We're, we're willing to change if we need to. We'll adapt our strategy. And that's because uh, <laughs> human nature is uh, the nature of capitalism is to exploit the weakness in the system for profit. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's what it's doing. It's finding sure. the area where it can profit. And then the nature of government, right? It's just like in NASCAR, right? If you want to slow people down on a short track, they put governors on the engines, right? It slows down how fast they can go. And so government then goes and regulates things to sort of manage and keep capitalism within certain boundaries. And I don't think that that's a wholesale bad thing, right? I like as much freedom as we can get. Free-ish markets I like. Mm -hmm. Crazy for me to say it, but a completely unregulated market is pretty terrifying. Yeah. Because that's how if you there's get no things checks like and balances. monopolies, mm -hmm. right? When Google buys up everybody and every internet provider in the world is Google. And right? then the price goes to $500 a month. And then they can a month. whatever yeah. they want because nobody else can afford to compete, right? So we don't want that. We want free-ish markets. We don't want completely unregulated markets where hey, you can buy this house, and who knows if you can plug anything into it because we invented our own outlets. Like, hmm, that's weird. So, A Google house. Oh, let's not give them any ideas. Uh. All right, well, look, that's the music, so I guess it's time. Uh, as we look forward, yep, rising interest rate environment is going to create all kinds of fun. Uh, we knew the job markets will be their own thing, but uh, if you need to know more for how it works for your portfolio, give us a call at 541-375-0898. Until next time, this is David Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN.